away from Providence, Rhode Island, coming to you live from the Minute with Mary studio. Welcome to the Potterverse. It is a podcast all about the book and film, soon to be television universe of Harry Potter. So hang on to your time turners and let's step into the night and pursue that flighty temptress adventure. everybody. Sometimes I make up new intros. That's fun. I keep you on your toes. That's also what happens, even though I have done this podcast hundreds of times. It happens when I don't have my Google Drive document up because of a faulty <laughs> iPad. So, you know, once again, as Blake and I say, we record that intro new every single time. And I prove that point quite frequently. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Mary Larson. My name is Blake, and this is just yet another reason why this chapter makes, like, this chapter is another reason why this book is the best. There's just something in your opinion. Head. Yes. No, 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 no. It's no, the so, best. Okay, so you need to like stop that because it's kind of rude. Okay. No, no, it's a not rude. A lot of people no, prefer just the best. other books like myself. Then you're all wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> if we had any doubt that Blake was a Slytherin at this point, you're all wrong. Goodness. This me. book is okay, by far the best book. book. In your opinion, this book is by far the best, and this is one of the reasons because. Well, well, we'll get there. I mean, oh, okay. that, this, 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 this is what we like to call a professional tease. <laughs> All right, I get this. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, of course, we are here delving into chapter 13. We have detention with Dolores. And I had my spot already picked out. Mm, and then I lost it, Blake. <laughs> yep, that's that's a classy move. Oh man! I got excited. I got excited about bow truckles. Well, you know what? The good news is, well, the reason why this is all happening is because we're we're actually going live right now uh, on on the interwebs as we're recording this, and and I, I think it just threw Mary off a little bit because we haven't actually gone live for the Potterverse in a while. We haven't, no. So. But I picked it. I found it. Oh, we found it. Okay, good. Uh, at five of uh, five to five, Harry bade the other two goodbye and set off for Umbridge's office in the third floor. When he knocked on the door, she said, "Come in." In a sugary voice, mm-hmm. he entered cautiously, looking around. He had known this office under three of its previous occupants. In the days when Gilderoy Lockhart had lived here, it had been plastered with beaming portraits of its owner. When Lupin had occupied it, it was likely you'd find some fascinating dark creature in a cage or tank, if you came to call. In the imposter Moody's days, it had been packed with various instruments and artifacts for the detection of wrongdoing and concealment. Now, however... It looked totally unrecognizable. The surfaces had been draped in lacy covers and cloths. There were several vases full of dried flowers, each residing on its own doily. And on one of the walls was a collection of ornamental plates, each decorated with a large technicolor kitten wearing a different bow around its neck. These were so foul that Harry stared at them, transfixed, until Professor Umbridge spoke again. Good evening, Mr. Potter. (laughs) <laughs> I just love this because Harry does he goes through memory lane of like I've been in this room so many times and it has been so different and it, and it reminded me a bit of college of college dorm rooms and how for people who work in a dormitory setting maybe you're like a you know the dorm mom you know the person who like lives in the dorm sure do you know what I'm talking about did they have those where you lived no Wait a second. So when you went to college, there wasn't an adult living in the building with you? No, I mean, well, we had um 
Like in each of our dorms at the University of Rhode Island, there was someone who was who was being well, paid we had our their RD. job. Yeah, yes. that was our RD. But yeah. it wasn't like your yes, your RD was like a grown up real adult. Yes. Not, okay. That's Not what I'm RA. talking about. Okay. okay. All right. All right. You just forgot about them. Well, yeah, no, I didn't. I, sorry, it was just a different name. Okay. Sorry. okay. <laughs> yeah, hall director. That's what the real word is. I'm calling it dorm mom. Ours, <laughs> ours was like a dorm mom. Ours actually looked like Umbridge. She really? was a bit sh- uh, shorter, stouter, always wore pink. Her entire room, her entire place was covered in pink. And I knew this because I was an RA for multiple years. So we got to go inside of her apartment mm-hmm. and all of her walls were painted pink. And the walls were made by like cinder bricks you know like nothing fancy in a dorm room anyway i was thinking about how for people who are either um you know in a dormitory setting or some kind of setting where like people come in and out every single year Mm -hmm. you must walk by these rooms and be like no way that's how it's decorated you know you might have a room with like people who have all tie-dye posters and like you know the big tapestries all over the all over the walls and like a tie-dye um the bedspread and lava lamps and all the instruments everywhere. And then the next year it might be like a minimalist yeah. <laughs> with a couple of things. Uh, you might have someone, you know, so it's just as an RA myself, I actually did work in the same dormitory and that's what it was like going up and down these hallways being like, that's really a different choice, yeah. you know, and, and it is, it's, it's a person's own space. And that's what happens of course here in Hogwarts as these different professors move in and out and move into these spaces. And Harry hangs out with the dark arts teachers a lot. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so he knows the rooms very well, whether it's for detention signing autographs or for learning more about Dementors. You know, he spends a lot of time in this room. So it is, that's why I wanted to read it. I just, it was a really interesting thing for him to notice and for her room to be so extremely different from the previous teachers. Well, Harry, celebrity is as celebrity does. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, Gilderoy. The, the best character. Uh, maybe number, in Blake's opinion. Top three, top three. Behind. Who are who are your top three? Uh, I know we've done this before. I've gone back and f- I've gone back and forth but now. As you go through the series, you know it's hard not to. Sirius and Snape go back and forth one and two for me, uh, like constantly. <clears throat> however, they would hate that. By the way, oh I know they would. They, they would, would be so mad. Gilderoy, however, <laughs> is always a strong three, a very strong three, like consistently. I love that you. great. I love you so much. Whereas mine are Hagrid, yeah. <laughs> Hedwig, and Dobby. Couldn't <laughs> yes, be any more Owl opposite. is in my top three. And yes, I cried so much at, uh, at her passing she did. that I had to oh stop God. the book for a little while. Oh. That was, oh my God. And then Dobby, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh. Uh, anyway. Oh, man. Once again, spoilers abound in this podcast. Yes, friends. this is not a spoiler free <laughs> podcast. Okay. We all know. If you don't know that by now, sorry, do that in your own time. <laughs> yes. All right, Marvin, you ready? Yes. Let's do it. I solemnly swear that I'm up to no good. So here we are, as I said earlier, we are in chapter 13, known as Detention with Dolores. And this is a whopping long of a chapter. There's some interesting, varied lengths in a the chapter. A whopping what? Whopping long chapter. A whopping long of a chapter? Not, you know, 
I can, I can make up some phrases. <laughs> just, I'm not professional. Sure. <laughs> I wasn't just on television this morning. <laughs> Sorry, I gotta fix your wire. It's, it's all right. Crazy. Um, so interesting. We're at number thirteen. Ooh, and it's creepy, and we get to hang out with someone who you wouldn't expect to be creepy, but she sure is. Mm-hmm. And I love that this like atrocious thing happens in the spooky chapter. The spooky numbered chapter is what yes. I Yes. I don't think it's a very spooky chapter. No. It's a terrifying chapter yes. and a very discouraging chapter. Lots of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. This, of course, does take place with... It's Actually, it starts the, the evening of the first day of school is when this... So we've gone through this and, and this is only this, <laughs> the first night. It's crazy. And Harry's like, this day was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I already got detention. Angelina Johnson is coming at me, yelling at me left yeah. and right because I can't make Quidditch tryouts. This is not the way you want to start your first day of school. No, not at all. Although I would love to see all of the testing on the first years. I think that would be phenomenal. Uh, the fainting fancies? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you woke up. You're good. You're good. Here, here, have some more stuff. Lee Jordan is just ever so, oh, they're fine. Yeah. Popping in the purple. Like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> My question is, though, if you were to buy a fainting fancy, you'd have to have your getaway driver person. You'd have to have the person that gives you the purple candy. Or yeah. else you're just stuck. You're stuck there. I mean, I, I imagine that you'd probably wake up eventually. That's what they're trying out, and they, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. So let's get into the later aspects, which is Fred and George and Hermione. So here's the thing Are Fred and George wrong for doing what they're doing? Yes. Really? (laughs) Even though I would have married one of them. Yes. Oh my God. Why do you think they're wrong for... Te- they they got to get real world results. Yes, and you should do that on someone who's of age, okay? You're trying this out on minors. What they all agreed. Does it matter? If our kid agreed to try... That's a different kid- story. It ain't my no, kid. It, but it's somebody's <laughs> child, okay? That's their problem. <laughs> this is what happens at boarding school. Um, no, I, I I mean, you think about it. Our, our son, our little lad, is essentially a first year age. Yes, I would not take this well if he sent me a little letter or if I saw him over Christmas holiday. He said, oh, yeah, mom, I've been making some money. Doing what, honey? Oh, that's so awesome. I, I didn't know there were jobs. <laughs> I thought that's why there are house elves. What, is, what, what are you doing to make money? I'm just trying different candies. Just trying out some drugs. Some make me blo- <laughs> Some make me bleed. Some make me fall asleep and pass out. I puke on other ones. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Are you out of your mind? Yeah. So, uh, no, I would not be okay with this. And first years, remember, they just got to school. It's yeah. not even like these are first years in February. Sure, built-in test subjects. These are kids. Fresh off oh, the boat. I want to hang in. A I want third to, uh, of which might be Muggleborn. I want to like be cool and fit in with everybody. Imagine Blake yeah. Larson, because you know Blake would have been Muggleborn. <clears throat> okay. Whoa, no. whoa! What is this? Exactly. Whoa! Slytherin, it, a pure a Muggleborn <laughs> Slytherin. Love it. Owning it. That's why he would have been so grabby. So Muggleborn Slytherin. Blake I been Larson. Grabby. Just get grabby. Crabby. You said grabby. Listen, you would have been grabby too. <laughs> oh, candy! 
thanks. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, I totally would have eaten the, the floating That's cookie. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, you would have come off the boat, sorted into Slytherin, wee, I love green, and gone downstairs and hung on out. <laughs> and then these, like, fifth years, who probably also are trying them on Slytherins, because you know Fred and George are like, let's give them the puking ones. Sure, yeah. We'll give the Gryffindors the fainting ones. And then they see little Blake Larson. Hey, guys. Hey, guess what? I'm in Slytherin. Hey, Blake, do you like candy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Candy's great. Yeah. <laughs> do you have airheads? <laughs> How about junior mints? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're wicked good. Only from the fridge, though. <laughs> I don't do warm junior mints. <laughs> they would have given you like two like, different kinds yeah, at once. A please. shut up pill. <laughs> oh my good lord! So no, I do not think that what they're doing is okay, and I'm really proud of Hermione for standing up. And I love that the author put that Fred and George felt like it was below the belt when she says, uh, "I'll tell your oh, mom." Yes, I will. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. Oh, man. I would not have had this. R.A. Mary would have done the same thing. Oh, of of course. You need to know your opponent's weak spot. And she knows Fred and George's. And I also love that Hermione ends up becoming George's sister-in-law. Oh, which is even better. It's right? great. It's perfect. I'm going to threaten you with my future mother-in-law. You're so, welcome. So the other thing that I really love in this chapter, and it's it's a... Uh, I don't want to say it's a blink and you'll miss moment, but it's a perfect character moment for both Ron and Hermione. Mm. When Ron's like, okay, we got all this homework to do. And uh, he gets his paper out. He's like, okay, the multiple uses for moonstones yes. and he underlines. And he says, all right, what Hermione. Is... <laughs> what are they? What are they? <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> That is absolutely one of my favorite moments in all of Harry Potter. Just because we've grown so accustomed to these characters now, you can absolutely see Ron doing that. Mm -hmm. And then Hermione saying, no, I'm not doing that. What are you, nuts? Uh, And him being upset, like... Well, I don't know what these things are. Like, you got to tell me. Or else I'm going to fail. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's on you. And then there's, the, it's all, and, and I, what works about it, Mary, to me, is all subtext. You don't need to know, they, the characters don't have to say anything or do anything. Even if, even if it was just, Ron writing the title, like very carefully writing it out and then underlining it and then him looking up and looking at Hermione, you would get it. Yes. And that is when you know it's just a perfectly written character, a Mm -hmm. perfectly written moment where the subtext says everything. Yes. That's when you got it just right. We've got another moment with the two of them. Of course, Hermione has been knitting all of these hats to act as clothing to set the house elves free and then she covers it with trash to trick them into picking up this clothing and then Ron cleans up the trash a little bit because he believes that the house elves should know what they're getting themselves into before they accidentally pick it up. Now, truth be told, I don't think that this method of leaving knit hats out covered in trash would actually technically set a house elf free as the house elves are not, quote, owned by Hermione. Yeah, and it well, it just... 
Like Harry whole... could not have given Dobby a sock. It needed to be Dobby's master, his family. Correct. So the house elves that work at Hogwarts need to be set free by an official person from Hogwarts, but, not a student. But even let's say Hermione's sorely misjudged actions did potentially free. Well, think about they pick up they probably pick up socks all day long. Yes. You think about how many socks students lose and yet somehow these kids still have socks. If by it's June. anything like our house. Yeah. <laughs> so you know there'd be no socks left on the planet. Stinky undies, you know, dirty robes, doing all the laundry because we don't read about Harry going to a washing machine ever. No. It's the house house. So they have to touch this clothing but at some it's point. It's just so that this action is so misaligned mm-hmm. with what's right and it it again i think it serves as a perfect example of hermione misjudging intent usefulness um how correct her actions are she saw what happened to winky yes. right, right and here she is she didn't go well trying to free these elves against their own she's trying to literally trick them into being free even if she was giving these socks or knitted hats or whatever and it it, what it would set them free you're duping them into being free and ron in my opinion is actually right you can't just circumvent their own wants and needs like just because you find yourself on a on a moral high ground. Well, and you know, later on she does have more conversations and she was already talked about it in the last book about truly figuring out what the house elves want. Because just like you said, Blake, this isn't the right solution. She is a 15-year-old brilliant woman, a young woman, but still this shows a large part of her immaturity where she doesn't understand just because this is what you want doesn't mean what everybody else wants. Yeah, and that a lot of these house elves are grateful. They have a roof over their head. They the work may be making them happy. Um, you know, talk with Dumbledore, talk with Mechanical, like, you know, see what you can do, but this obviously isn't a solution. But on the flip side, a lot of us try to do things that we think might make the world or causes a better situation. Uh, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, right? Yeah, so. well, it just shows you how misguided Spew is and continues to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I do honestly think that this is the author's way of showing you how Spew is myth- misguided, right? That, that she, Hermione, despite how much she either learned or wants to learn, is still going about the... Um, these good intentions the completely wrong way. Yes. You know, in whatever way that is, like whatever, and like who, she, you can't get mad because she's trying to do her best. She's trying to do the right thing. So you can't be like, oh, well, you know, who cares about Hermione? But still, it's like, it shows you how young she is yes. and how she she isn't applying her specific knowledge that she has and how smart she truly is. She's just applying that that logic in an awkward way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, another thing that I like here in this chapter two is McGonagall. And and as a teacher, I desperately want to get your thoughts about how she treats Neville and the the conversation about OWLs. Mm -hmm. And McGonagall is the one that's saying, listen, it's not that you're you're, you're not talented enough. 
Mm-hmm. You just don't have any self-confidence, yes. essentially. I mean, that's, yes. that's what it's breaking down to. And and Marvin, I, I, I got to know, at least from in your opinion, is, is McGonagall correct in calling out Neville in front of Neville's the class? insecurities in front of the class? I would say yes in this particular situation. So this is now their fifth year. These students have been together now for five years in a row. Uh, they know each other, whether they like it or not. Okay, they're like brothers and sisters at this point. Uh, so we've gotten to know each other's quirks, each other, what we're confident about, what we're strong in, what we're weak in. I don't think McGonagall would tell him you are able to do this if she truly didn't think he was able to do it. And she says, honestly, I believe in the entire class. Mm -hmm. And the thing that is going to prevent you is you and your mindset. Sure. And I 100% say that. Now, I don't know necessarily... uh, it's difficult, right? Because she does say long bottom. She could have easily heard the scoff and said, everybody, mm-hmm. it comes down to your mindset. Whether It's that quote, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> yes. That's that's what she's saying. Yes. I think because it was very clear that it was Neville who made the scoff. And also to prove a point, because probably out of all of the students in that classroom, Neville probably does have the lowest self-esteem. Right. And mm-hmm. probably is often looked looked lowly upon by others. And he or she is saying, no, you can do this. Mm-hmm. I'm your teacher. I know you. I know what you're capable of. I've seen your grades. I've seen your transformations, both wizard and also your personal transformations. And you are capable of doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say there's nothing wrong with your work except for a lack of confidence. And then she moves on. I think that's fine. There is, because to me, that's that's all positive. There's nothing wrong with your work except lack of confidence. Sure. So, she, and she's already told the entire class, "I believe in you." Like, I I see no reason why everybody in this class should not achieve an OLW in transfiguration as long as they put in the work. You know, so she is saying you can all do this. We don't often get, and ironically enough, we don't often get these kind of moments because a lot of the times the teaching in quotes, mm-hmm. right, that's involved at Hogwarts or at least the, the teaching that's involved with Harry and what we see in the classroom environment. It's often, yeah, well, because yeah, know. you know, you look at it like when Moody changes what's his name into a ferret. You know, like, uh, what do you do? What do you what do you call this? Teaching. Teaching. <laughs> you know, like or Snape uh, being accusatory or, you know, having this really bad attitude or uh, even Gilderoy Lockhart, you know, the Cornish Pixies. It's all it's all kind of there to make a point about how either awful the 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 teacher is or awful the situation is. But in this particular moment, I think this is a really great insight into the kind of teaching that can be involved in Harry Potter mm-hmm. uh, or the 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 series, but also in Hogwarts in general that is outside of the extremes that we normally see which which is making a point yeah you know i i like seeing a a very um specific moment that isn't meant to be you know degrading you know in in any way on either side either the teacher or the student side Mm -hmm. it's good to see mcgonagall just be like no you can do this yes and say that she believes in her in her students you know, I, I think that's awesome. We go about this day and, of course, they're just hitting hitting home. The OLWs, the OLWs. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, as if they didn't have enough stress just coming back to school and having these difficult classes and everything else that goes along with it. Plus, a kid died last year. Yeah. Yeah. Not great, Bob. It is quite interesting that they had this really traumatic experience 
and nobody's talking about it. But also they had all these students in school last year that were hanging out with them from Bobatins and from Dermstrang. Mm-hmm. And nobody's like, oh, yeah, I have a pen pal. You know, it's like we just we just forget that whole event happened <laughs> because it was so messed up. We're just all not going to mention it. <laughs> we're just not going <laughs> to pay attention. Move on. Not great, we're going to move on from it. Yeah. Um, and then they end up going to Care of Magical Creatures with Grubbly Plank. Yeah, uh, and I, I like what they say. Hey, what, where's what Harry says? Where's, where's Hagrid? Never you mind where Hagrid is. Don't you worry about it. Uh, that, I thought that was great. <laughs> However, Malfoy seems to have an idea of where he is. Yeah, so I know last chapter or a couple of chapters ago, we were talking about how much Malfoy actually knows. He knows a lot. And this to me, I mean, if you were looking, if you're coming at this book just from... Uh, a point of having never read it before if you're just you know you're un you're unwashed if you will um yeah it would still kind of show that he knows something a little bit but the specific wording here shows yeah he knows a lot yeah he says maybe said malfoy in an undertone so that only harry could hear him the stupid oafs got himself badly injured yeah and he's and he, doesn't he say something like oh maybe he he's, he's he got, he got something maybe too he's big. been messing with stuff that's too big for him yeah to get my drift yeah and he's only saying it to Harry so why do you think Malfoy is taking this approach with Harry okay are you asking me like what he knows because maybe you forgot no 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 because he knows that he knows he went to go see the giants we know that yeah he knows he went to go see the giants and there's like a new essentially king of giants and things did not go over well when there was like a new king of giants yes and the bad king of giant guy uh chats with the death eaters so like right. through the grapevine of bad people malfoy does know that Hagrid's been chatting with the Giants and but things have not been going well. Having said that, though, why do you think that Malfoy is treating uh, Harry, Harry like this? this way? Yeah, Because he finally has an upper hand. He finally has an upper hand about Harry. Yeah. And I especially, know something you don't know. It, and this yeah. is about someone that you care about. And I know this. And this could hurt you. I mean, this is this is power hungry Malfoy right mm-hmm. here. I'm just gonna hang this in front of you, knowing that I'm gonna drop the dog reference. Yeah, knowing I'm gonna drop things that I know about Hagrid. Um, I think the dog reference is questionable. Like, yes, I can I can see both ways, but this one. But why wouldn't is you see overt. both ways? Because. Peter Pettigrew would have said Sirius is a dog. Yeah, that's true. Good point. So Malfoy knows a lot. What's interesting, however, is like Malfoy knows not to just run his mouth and lay his chips out on the table for everybody. He doesn't go and tell all of his croonies. He is whispering it to Harry to hurt Harry and to show him, I've got the power. (laughs) But yeah, you're right, Mary. He is specifically out there to hurt. Or I I don't think to hurt, but to... It's not to help. Definitely ain't to help. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, Harry feels like crap. He already has detention. And he cares about Hagrid. It is no secret that Harry loves Hagrid. And Malfoy saying he probably got hurt uh, with some stuff that's too big for him. Get my drift. Yeah. Yeah, but is that, is that out there? Saying he probably hurt. But is that out is. there to specifically hurt Harry? 
Or is that there to tease Harry? No, I think teasing is more like, your scar's stupid. Doesn't look like a lightning bolt. Looks like a, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I I hear you. No, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I don't think this is teasing. This is, Harry doesn't have any family. This would be like me being missing, me, your wife, and someone saying, oh, yeah, I think she's hurt. She probably got into stuff that was too big for her. To you. Mm. Malfoy knows how much Hagrid loves Harry and vice versa. Well, he I'm knows thinking, that Harry's I'm thinking like of a orphan. word. He, Harry went to bat for Hagrid, you know, in book three. I'm, th- <sighs> I'm thinking of a word that I'm not sure if I can use. But okay, like, don't use it then. Yeah, don't be like, don't be a D. Yeah, like that's what it, I didn't say that, but like yeah. I'm saying, like that's what this feels like to me. Not to like, <gasps> don't be a Dementor. Yeah, okay. like don't just, be a Dudley. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's what we say in our house. That's true. Yeah, good point. When you mean that, but adults know. Yeah, but we—that's what we say to our kids. Don't be a Dudley. <laughs> Come on, just don't be a Dudley. We say that whenever they're being a little selfish. Yeah, don't that's be a true. Dudley. But uh, but yeah, that, that's how it feels to me. It feels like don't be a D. Yeah, like that's what he's doing, just to do that because but, he knows something that Harry doesn't. So it's not meant to hurt, but it's meant to like show power over him, I guess. But here we go. Harry suddenly feels sick after this. This is why I disagree. Harry feels sick because this is not just, oh, I think your cat like is missing. It's even that would make a lot of people myself <laughs> sick. This is honestly one of the five people that Harry cares most for in this world. Sure. So I think that this is a very cruel thing of of Malfoy. Let's also talk about cruel in terms of Hermione and Luna. (sighs) This is not a great look for Hermione. This whole chapter is not a great look. I mean, which okay, I can't say the whole chapter, but no, this chapter is not Hermione's bright point in life. No, Uh, when there's they're saying, "Oh, you can do better than her," like that that whole bit that. It almost feels like a bit of jealousy. Uh, To me, it feels like a young teenager who is unsure of herself is trying to find her place in the social hierarchy. I I would hope that Hermione, headstrong Hermione that we knew from book one, who seemed not to care what others think of her, but remember, she's the same girl that went to go cry in the girl's bathroom. So yeah. as strong as she seems in herself, as she knits those little hats and scoffs at what people make fun of, spew, she still does care and things do still hurt her. And mm-hmm. sadly, one of the ways that people in general, not even just use, but people in general, uh, put each other down, whether it be bullying or just throwing little quips like this, like what Hermione just threw, is to really help themselves climb higher. Kind of makes me think of that series, The Diary of the Wimpy Kid. Yes. The Wimpy Kid in the beginning, he's like, he knows that there's like this really nerdy kid who like picks his nose and eats his boogers and like <laughs> does like gross things. So he's like, okay, I'm not like so uncool that I'm his level. Yes. I'm at least above the pick nose eat boogers kid. Yes. At one point he is below the pick nose eat boogers kid. So I feel like this is Hermione's way of saying, at least I'm not Luna level. 
Yeah, and but the other thing too is if you she even mentions that Lavender Brown and Pavardi feel the same way or whatever. Yeah. Like to me, she's trying to hang with some peers. She's trying to Good point. find her place socially with the girls. around her age and and that's a good lesson for you younger listeners don't put people down to make yourself look cool it's it's just not good and it it's it's not gonna make you cool no it's just not like and honestly not younger listeners every listener people do yeah but especially the younger listeners because it's at that it's at this age where things like that happen. It runs rampant, and I also find that it goes quickly back and forth, but I find adults do this, sadly, still all the time. Yeah, but at least other adults know how to handle it, I think, for the most part. It'd be like, okay, guy, go get your shine box. Like, (laughs) whatever. It's one of the best things about growing up is that you don't care as much when people do things like that. That's true. But But when you're a kid, you know, that kind of commentary is a really big deal. Yeah. So my suggestion to the younger listeners is to just not do that because it doesn't advance you. It doesn't advance the the conversation. It just, all it does is it makes you look bad. And if you don't care about looking bad, then great. That's, that's good for you. But if you do care about that and you, and you do want to be the best person that you can be, just don't put somebody down and make yourself look cool. Like that's right, it's just not smart. It's just not, and, and Harry calls her out on this. Not yeah. Hermione, come on, this is like a low blow for you. But instead, he's saying, "Hey, she's one of the few people who knows what I like. A yeah. like a standing up for me, and she's standing up for me publicly. <laughs> uh, so please stop." And so I like that Harry does that. They they kind of the trio is very mature in this chapter in the sense that they're able to call each other out on, "Hey, stop taking your bad day out on me." Stop yes. fighting. You know, this is this is this is not okay. And I, I like that they're able to do that with each other. Yeah. And they're and they're also able to find solace in each other, right? Like there's there's the moment where obviously we'll get into this here in a little bit, but there's the moment where Ron is practicing for the Quidditch tryouts and Harry bumps into him and recognizes, oh man, Ron isn't being truthful with me. But I, I'm not being truthful with him either. So I gotta like, I gotta reciprocate here. And they can, and, and it, it's at that point that Ron somehow finds some confidence to do what he wants to do. And Harry doesn't necessarily find the confidence to to like go speak to Dumbledore or to McGonagall, but to at least have a faith in the idea that what's happening is with him and. Umbridge is beyond measure. Mm-hmm. It is wrong. And it's okay to admit that. Yeah. You know, like it ain't good. You know, and even Ron's reaction to it, it's like, what's going on? Yes. Right? Like that's that's one of those things I think as a kid when you see somebody that like got beat up and you're like, hey, or some a kid came back to school with a a bruise, you know, on his arm or whatever. Like, in it's out of the norm. What's up? You know, and that's just a, a measure of concern, mm-hmm. right? I, I really appreciate the fact that Harry and Ron have that kind of relationship where they can recognize, yeah, we need to tell the truth to each other here. Yeah. 
Right. So, yes. Speaking of the the Quidditch tryouts, of course, this is when it's acknowledged that Oliver Wood isn't here. Oliver yes. Wood hasn't been here for a couple of years, but last year there was no Quidditch because of the Triwizard Tournament. Right. So this, of course, is the first time when they need to do it. And fun, oddly enough, it's not like they have a backup keeper. You know, you yourself being a soccer coach right now, you sure. have at least two kids who are like well-trained in being goalie. Yes, uh, but no, that's not how they roll Apparently on the Tour Quidditch team. <laughs> they don't there really account no for injuries. <laughs> yeah, there are no subs. And Angelina Johnson is not very kind. I don't think she handles leadership well when she's trying to get the tryouts all together. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, <laughs> what are your Harry, thoughts about Angelina uh, in this whole this whole thing with Harry and... I think I think Ron is hysterical when he says, I think we need to check out with Puddlemore United where the wood's been killed during a training session because she seems to be channeling his spirit. I think that is a perfect reaction because he's able just to kind of joke about it. Like, wow, she just came in really, really strong. And then when she does place Ron in the Quidditch team, which this is a big change between book and movie because mm-hmm. um, in movie six, Ron makes the Quidditch right. team and that's when he gets to have that whole big scene. Um when he does make it here and Angelina is talking with Harry, she says, look, I know he's your best mate, but he's not fabulous, she said bluntly. I think with a bit of training, he'll be all right, though. He comes from a family of good Quidditch players. I'm banking on him turning out to have a bit more talent than he showed today, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vicky and Jeffrey both flew better this evening, but Hooper's a real whiner. He, oh, yeah, so this Jeffrey kid, he's a whiner. He's always moaning about something, and Vicky's involved in all sorts of society. She admitted herself that if training clashed with charm club, she put charms first. Anyway, so she goes into this and basically says he's not the best. Mm-hmm. These two are better. One of them's a crybaby. Yep. One of them's involved in way too much and probably wouldn't make half the practices, so we picked Ron. She also admits about his family. So I like that. I like that Angelina made this choice. Mm-hmm. I don't think she made this choice just because he's Harry's best mate. I think she's putting more ownership on him. And I bet you she has a similar conversation with Fred and George, saying, "Listen, this is your brother." I'm sure, given the nature of <laughs> how intensely she has been treating the Quidditch aspect this season, <laughs> yeah. she's having all the conversations yes. with the brothers. Yes, I'm sure that she whip is. him into shape. Come on, make yeah. this work. Um, but I think also it was very smart for her to get yeah. someone who isn't a crybaby, someone who isn't overscheduled, who honestly he's been putting every single free moment into practicing. Plus, he's got three people on the team who, who can watch over him. trust him, who yep. love him, even though his brothers may not necessarily say that out loud, um, but that want him to succeed. Sure, sure. And who has good communication. You know, with your siblings, it's like you can have those unsaid things. Yeah. Yeah. And and she's betting on pedigree, right? Mm-hmm. She's she's betting on a lot. And I think as a leader, you know, and, and as someone who, at least from my perspective, as a coach or as someone who has coached or managed teams before, there there's always a very fine line to walk into on which to balance, and that is the immediate measurables. Versus your gut, right? Your measurables being, you know, can he, can he or she get a hit? Can he or she pitch? Can he or she, you know, whatever. What's their 40 time? You know, how high can they jump? Those are the measurables. Those are things that are, are tangible. They're right in front of you. But 
you know, there's that famous story of uh, in 2014 of Bill Belichick when the Patriots were going against the Seahawks in the in the the Super Bowl, and there's the Patriots are going to call a time like the the time is running out. It's like 30 seconds left or whatever it is. And the Patriots should be calling a timeout to make sure that they have everything all set. But Belichick is looking across the field and he sees Pete Carroll and he sees that Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seahawks, was like running around like crazy. They couldn't get the right guys into the field. And he, he just he looked at it and he said, something doesn't look right over there. And he didn't call a timeout. And the, the clock is tick, 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 tick. And sure enough, Pete Carroll calls the wrong play and the Patriots intercept the ball, win the game. That's it. That's a gut move. That's not measurable. That's just seeing something and recognizing it. That's what Angelina Johnson is doing in this moment. And I really appreciate that. I think we need a puddle mirror United shirt in the Marion Blake store. Oh, I like this. I have found a little logo that I can share with you. Yes. But you know, that I'll wear that. Great, and now, like, how exciting for Oliver Wood? Yeah, that he's playing professionally. I, I will totally, I will wear the crap out of that shirt. <laughs> all right, Marvin, uh, we are. Let's at get into the, the time, Dolores. Yeah, the, the the Dolores of it all. Uh, I have my reasons for why this is just this chapter and this action is just another reason why this is the best book mm-hmm. but i want to hear your thoughts first uh not necessarily on why this is the best book but just your your thoughts on what goes on with harry and umbridge and all that stuff why i think it's terrible well just whatever i, I just want to hear what your your thoughts are and if you could remember what your thoughts were when you first read it uh i think <laughs> i think this made snape look like Oh my gosh, like a good professor, which is disgusting because we spent the past four books hating him, mm-hmm. loathing him, hating how he treats and speaks to other students. And now we take this little lady dressed in all pink and she just takes it up, up to level 100. Oh, yeah. Um, to be physically torturing him, causing him to bleed on a nightly basis. It's, it, not that it would have been okay one time, but she does it repeatedly. Mm-hmm. A fun fact that Harry Potter's scars of I Must Not Tell Lies yeah. continue to stay on him. And actually in um, the play The Cursed Child, mm-hmm. they're on his hand. Really? Yeah. Because of, oh. for those of you who haven't read The Cursed Child, we're not going to spoil anything, but Harry, Harry is not always happy okay he still has a lot of dark bad things from his past that haunt him Mm -hmm. and so they made the choice even though very few people can see it from wherever they may sit in the theater but if you see the photos and everything he still has the scarring and that is something that in the books the scarring is still there yes yes yeah wow interesting uh it's very so i think that this chapter truly makes an imprint on harry going forward sure um Literally. Literally. Yeah. To not trust people just because they're in charge of you, not trust people. Um, you know, this this is really the beginning of the downfall of his trust of the Ministry of Magic. Sure. Um, so I think that it's poignant on that part as well. And just the way that she's doing it, um, you know, it, it also makes me question Dumbledore. He, man, he let in full moody last year. <laughs> Had maybe no idea. We don't know. Sure. We don't know for sure. 
We would hope that he well, didn't Well, again, know. this is the thing that we okay. have to... We have to... Dumbledore can't be as powerful and as, as knowledgeable as we all kind of make him up to be and still be innocent in all of this. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, you can't have both. Yes. You're right? He lets this woman in who, Hermione even says, I don't know why he would be letting someone in who's actively saying she's not going to be teaching us how to do magic. This isn't making sense. Yes. And obviously the ministry has a huge power over what's going on, but this, this is, this is drawing the line. And now, yeah. what I find really interesting is that Harry, 15-year-old Harry, does not say anything to Dumbledore, to McGonagall. Now, granted, he doesn't say anything to Dumbledore because he's not seeing Dumbledore. Dumbledore has been avoiding him left and right. But he does see McGonagall, and yet he chooses not to. Um, Would you... Would you, Blake Larson, have told a professor? That's a great question. I would love to know from the nerds if you would tell a professor. Um, I feel like I would have picked up the quill, started writing, so it is doing to my hand, and quoted Hermione Granger when she sees that's Wizard's Chest, where she says, That's barbaric. <laughs> yeah. I I would not have continued to I write. Think, I think I would agree with you on that one. Instead of continuing to write and then being like, hey, me, 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 like I would have just said, Nope, not doing it. Yeah. Fine. You don't you're are you mad at me? Okay, no problem. Go tell the teacher the what I'm not doing. I mean, maybe he might have been afraid what else she could do to him. Because you know she had a plan B and a plan C. Sure. And 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 that's the thing, right? And and that is part, I think, of what makes this chapter so great. Because it plays it puts you into Harry's position and it asks you, what would you do? Right? It 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 forces you to question everything that's related to this situation. Right. There, there's no easy answer. There's no like clear. Oh, yeah, I would do that. Maybe maybe someone would go tell the go tell the teacher, maybe. But there are people that are out there that wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And then there are people that are like Harry who refuse to do so because, number one, I'm not going to give it a pleasure. And number two, uh, he's terrified. Uh, he's terrified maybe of what she will do or he's just alone. And this ties into why I think this is a great chapter because Harry is so alone and he has been so alone since the beginning of this book, really since the end of the last book, that he doesn't have trust for anyone, right? Even even Ron, it, it, right before he tells the truth about what's happened, he he won't let it out. Yeah, he just says lines. Ron yeah. asked him, "What did he? What did she make you do?" Lines. He doesn't even tell Ron. Uh, so, and and at the very least, like not telling an adult, right? Because all the adults in Harry's life right now are kind of letting him down. And do you think I'm gonna go 
tell another adult about this thing. Well, and also, he's never had anybody to talk to. You think about how he was abused all the time by the Dursleys. I mean, this is a child who's grown up being abused by yes. his elders. Yes. And has no one to take care of him. You know, like when he tries to fight Quirrell slash Voldemort in book one, both of his friends can't even make it as far as he does. And, sure. and then in the Chamber of Secrets, Hermione's petrified. So it's almost like I have no adult that I can truly turn to. Mm -hmm. Hagrid isn't there because he would have told Hagrid, right? I think at the next oh, Care of Magical Creatures, I bet you Hagrid would have seen it. He would have given him some rock cakes or something. Oh, guys, tell me how your first week of school's going. Oh, Harry, what's wrong with your hand? Yes. Here, let me put a big steak on it. You know, like, I like that I made Hagrid's voice an elf. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean that in such a caring individual. I think if Hagrid had been there, he would have noticed something. He would have asked Harry and potentially Harry might have even said something to him. He doesn't have like super duper close relationship with uh, McGonagall. And even sometimes when he's had to ask McGonagall, hey I need to see Dumbledore she's kind of poo-pooed him a little mm -hmm. bit away um, just said we're busy that's not for you to know and obviously Dumbledore is who knows where so I don't think Harry feels like he can turn to anybody. Well, yeah, and he and, always and, likes to explore things a little bit more before he gets the rest of the trio involved sure. as well and, and Mary you, I think this is a perfect example of knowing a character so well right because you yourself said it this is a kid that has grown up under the <laughs> horrible reign of the Dursleys. Mm -hmm. And he's and he he has had to fight for himself his entire life. The last person he really trusted wasn't even really moody. Right. It wasn't even that person. <laughs> so when he's gone to McGonagall, she's been like, no, sorry, busy. Right. You're t you always get Gilderoy Lockhart, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, sure. liar. Yep. Lupin's a freaking werewolf. I mean, I mean like, I, I agree. Nice guy, but tried to eat me. Yes. And then <laughs> Faux Moody. Yeah. And now Hagrid's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's really uh it, it's it's really messed up. It it's really messed up. And and for anybody that that complains about this chapter, I don't know, you're probably out there. I'm going to make a straw man argument. If you're complaining about this chapter and this choice of Harry not saying anything, you don't you're not understanding it. Like you're not you're not seeing it from Harry's perspective. And you're not, and it doesn't make it right. Like the obvious right choice if you're looking at it just logically and from an adult's perspective, go tell somebody. Mm -hmm. Right? But when you are saddled with all of this trauma and let's be honest, st stubborn nature, you're going to do the thing that your subconscious or whatever your life has given you, right? You're going to fall back to that safety net of I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. I've I lived through the Dursleys. I, I lived through all of this stuff. I've I took care of. Um, Quirrell and Voldemort. I, I saw Cedric die. No, no, I'm all set. I can take care of this too. I, I would say no. I, and he has no parents to tell, right? So, yeah. I, and, and and again, this is why the author gets all of this right. Because the amount of tension that she has created for Harry 
And after four books of making him the clear out-and-out hero, she has now reduced him to rubble. And very effectively. His only ally is Luna Lovegood. Yeah. And (laughs) he has to question her sanity. Mm -hmm. Right? It is spectacular. She's taken away Hagrid. She has made Hogwarts the one safe space that this kid has now now is no longer safe both mentally and physically she has given she's taken away dumbledore because he can't trust it mm-hmm. uh she has taken away uh really his relationships because all of the students that are in the school don't trust him now uh it this is really bad it is and and this is how we give an arc this is how we give a character a momentum right like up and down back and forth but to me what really makes this chapter sing is two things one the torture here that umbridge is putting Harry through, uh, is actually physically scarring him. And the last person to physically scar him was Voldemort. So it shows you that there is, again, the subtext of it all is that she is as powerful, if not more than Voldemort in this, at this point in Harry's life. Right. But the other part that I really like is What's happening isn't gruesome. It's not over the top. It's not like, you know, we 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 discuss Outlander a lot, like because of our Outlander cast. And there's a lot of imagery in Outlander that is widely overused to make a point of how awful something is. And when whenever you think of like how something bad is, what you try to do is you try to make it worse and worse and bigger and more violent or more dramatic or more in your face, louder, brighter, darker. You know, like you tend to go to the extremes. In this particular case, just a quill writing causing this kind of harm is perfect. It is so subtle yet so invasive and just flat out evil. I couldn't imagine a better, I couldn't imagine a a better like way to get somebody hated. Yeah. A lot of people actually put Umbridge as their number one villain of the series. Well, yeah. I wanted to ask you that. Like, yeah. Who's worse, Voldemort or her? A lot of people will choose her. Um, it's 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 a brilliant point to to bring up. Interestingly enough, Harry's scar, of course, is like aching above his temple hurts, yeah. and then she touches him, and his scar really hurts a lot. Yeah. Um, the idea behind all of this is is Voldemort is planning his big mass breakout out of Azkaban, and as he has these high anger moments or these high excitement moments, the scar really hurts a lot. Yeah. But it just so coincides with you know Harry being around Umbridge and having all this stuff happening. Yeah. So Harry still doesn't fully understand this connection with Voldemort. This is what we go through in this book. But it's interesting to bring that up because yeah. Hermione even says, "Oh no, you know it's hurting while you're around Umbridge. Maybe there's a connection." Yeah. To me, this also highlights a great 
um, moment for horror as well, mm-hmm. right? Because horror to me isn't the big bombastic, like think of, think of like Jason Voorhees and the machete through the bed, right? Like that is scary and that's that's pretty gory. But scary to me is subtlety and knowing how to manipulate psyche Mm. and umbridge does that here in spades uh and scary doesn't have to be michael myers right it doesn't have to be jaws it can be a lady in pink who Mm -hmm. looks like a frog you know and Mm -hmm. she gives you a quill that's terrifying and like knowing that he has to go back and do it over and over and over again and and Scary is also what you do to yourself. Harry is specifically choosing to not say anything and go through it. Like, and there's also that great, unbelievable writing moment where Harry's walking away and he, he waits till he gets far enough to start running so he doesn't give her the satisfaction because he doesn't want her to hear how he's hurt. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And then not only that, taking this and leveraging it against the one thing that really truly makes Harry happy, which is his flying in Quidditch and forcing him to watch Quidditch as she's doing this to him. Again, it's that natural tension. Angelina is pulling him one way. Ron and Hermione are pulling him another way. Uh, Umbridge is pulling him one way. We have school and all the work and everything pulling him another way. Like he's a rubber band that's just about to break. Yeah. Oh. And it's so sad because once again, this is just the first week of school. So we've got everybody else feeling joy, excited to see each other again, excited to be back in the Gryffindor common room. Hermione is thrilled. She's pumped that Ron made Keeper and is making all these hats. Ron made Keeper. His best friend got his dream. I mean, Ron looked in the mirror of Erised in book one and saw himself yes. in Quidditch robes. Oh my goodness gracious, has this boy been wanting to play Quidditch? And he is going to now be on Harry's team. And Harry thinks maybe maybe I can talk to Sirius and, and talk to him about um how how terrible all of this is going. Um my scar hurting. And Hermione's like, No, you can't you can't write him. You can't write you can't write anything like that in a letter. Right. Not right. allowed. So now Harry's one other person that he could potentially share this with mm-hmm. is now cut off. And Ugh. he walks up the stairs and Hermione doesn't know why he's sad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know. I just It just also makes you realize that even on your happiest days, your happiest moments, there's people who are just battling their own battles that they may or may not be ready and willing to share with you. Sure. You know, to really have that perspective. And it's something that we work with our kids on about like how it is very helpful to tell the people who are in your life, your your friends, your loved ones, even your teachers, if you're having a bad day and you can pinpoint it. If like you didn't get any sleep last night and it's going to mean that you're really cranky and short, you can apologize early and tell people, hey, just so you know, I didn't sleep well. I'm not myself. So I'm sorry if I'm quiet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to really try my best to be as best as I can be. But like I'm not my best form. Or maybe you're hungry, meaning you're hangry. Lord knows Ron gets hangry mm-hmm. um, to be able to say that. But then there's going to be other times where... We need to be the ones that give the grace where we can kind of look at someone and be like, wow, they're not acting like themselves. Yeah. yeah. And I've done nothing wrong that I know of. <laughs> yeah. 
but they can be having a bad day. They could be having a bad week. And sometimes asking people what's going on and just giving them that space. And I think that's a lot of what the trio does in this book. They're able to call each other out yes. and say, hey, enough is enough. But they're also giving each other space and allowing some grieving. Um, Hermione, obviously, is only 15. She can she can only manage so much about understanding PTSD and grief. Sure, sure. Um, but I think that the trio does as best as they can. And that in and of itself right there, Mary, is the ability of the author to create tension. I mean, not only is she creating tension with all the things that we've just highlighted, but she's also creating tension with Ron and Hermione. Right? The fact that they do have to make these choices, that mm -hmm. they do have to give each other grace. It's hard to give each other grace sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I know you and I struggle with it when we when we need to. Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine one married couple that doesn't struggle with yeah. immediately giving grace when you probably should. Right? Or even with friends. Like that's just another form of tension that just keeps pulling and pulling and pulling on Harry. Uh it's it's real this is a masterclass in what it takes to make Harry feel alone. It isn't gratuitous. It isn't, um, it isn't over the top where you would say, oh, okay, all right, that's enough. It's, it's just the right amount of awful that can go hidden, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and it's just enough movement for both of these characters that not only helps inform who they were but who they're going to be in the future yeah. right this each of these actions are so rooted in who they are um that's what makes this chapter so great uh and it, and then eventually what makes the catharsis uh, later on uh of i must not tell lies at the end of the book so cathartic mm -hmm. Because you're so heavily yes. involved and so heavily invested into that evil, right? Uh, that isn't overdone. Uh, oh man, perfect! Just, just, just. This is what we like to call a bookend. Eventually, <laughs> this is yeah. the first bookend. We'll eventually get to the next bookend uh, or the end of it. So that is that. All right, Marvin. I know we have a bunch of feedback here, but we've been at this now for this about has an hour. It's been a long chapter, so yeah. yes. So we're gonna read it in the next one. Yes. But I do want to thank. Um, we've gotten some some recent reviews on Apple Podcasts. Oh, okay, good. So I just wanted to read one because, of course, for those of you who don't know, leaving a written review in Apple Podcasts, whether that's where you listen to the podcast or not, it means so much to Blake and I. We read every single one of these reviews, um, but it also helps us get found by other Potter fans. So take some time if you haven't written a sentence. You don't just want to do the stars. You want to write a sentence or two. But I wanted to thank this person who has the emojis, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Oh my, yeah. that's their name. That's their oh, username. Cool. Uh, they put the best podcast ever. I found the Potterverse and immediately fell in love. Mary and Blake are so funny as they discuss all seven books and all eight movies. I think it was my Ravenclaw determination that caused me to get caught up all the way through the first three books. The most recent episode was at the start of the Goblet of Fire. I listened to every episode as they come out and then re-listened to all the other episodes. Thank you for making this podcast. All right. Well, Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Oh my. Thank you so much. Oh, for your actually, review. you know, before I forget, I, I wanted to mention one more thing that and it's another reason why I love this chapter. Uh, she goes up. Uh, Umbridge goes up to Harry mm -hmm. and like touches him, like touches his hand and like gets in his personal space. Mm -hmm. 
that is so awesome. How like how you mean not like, awesome? Not, in that. Like no, in terms of the writing of it and like the terms of the storytelling. So well of it. written and creepy. Yeah, like okay. it's this is how you know you have a really good antagonist because it reminds remember the Dark Knight Rises where Bane goes up to the guy, uh, actually Ben Mendelsohn, and and Ben Mendelsohn says to Bane, "Hey, you're gonna listen to me. I'm in charge here." And Bane doesn't even look at him. He just puts his he just lays his hand on his shoulder. Like like I don't remember this, but okay. He puts he lays his hand on his shoulder very calmly, very very easily, and he says, "Do you feel in charge?" Oh. And uh and oh, like that's what Umbridge just that's, did. That Umbridge Oof. is is do you feel in charge now? Do you yeah. feel like you can tell me that I'm lying? You know, like oh Oh my God! I need somebody to like Photoshop that moment with Harry's face on on you know in Umbridge on Bane's face. Like, ooh, that's so good, so so good. And that's why this chapter is the best. It's just the best, in your opinion. No, no, it, it's the best. <laughs> okay. All right. On that note, let's close out the show. All right, let's do it. Thank you all so much. Don't forget, you can actually share this podcast episode. You can screenshot it on your phone. Like if you're listening on your phone, you can screenshot it and put it up in your stories. Uh, You could actually link our show. There's clickable links if you would do it through the Instagram stories. Um, You can tag us at Miriam Blake Media to let other people know that they can follow us there. A lot of people see things in stories and then kind of click around. So if you are into sharing, sharing is caring. It also is the best way to get podcasts out there. Tell a friend. Send them a text message. Say, hey, I know you're a Potter fan. And of course, this is a family-friendly show. So if a a younger person is old enough to read this series or watch these movies, they can listen to these podcasts too. So maybe you have a niece, nephew, neighbor. Please let them know about the Potterverse. It may well. it may not be spoiler free, but it is family friendly. Yes, so it is. That's what we, we take pride in. That. Oh, my name is Mary. <laughs> my name is Blake. Mischief managed. Do you feel in charge? <laughs> that's my worst Bane example ever. It's okay. I made Hagrid an elf, so we're. <laughs> I didn't even do a different perspective. I think my elf Hagrid. That that, spoke that for you know itself. what that spoke for itself right there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel in charge? Oh All right. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.